It is the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And let's say that together. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Such a such a common verse, and and I don't know if you know who originally said it, but it was John the Baptist. So I have a question for you this morning. How do we mature in faith? How do we grow? What do we do to mature? Do we just read the Bible and pray? Or is there something else as a part of that? What does it look like when you know that you are mature in faith? Or you see someone who's mature in faith? And I know we're real good at telling people or seeing and understanding people who are not, right? But what's it look like when someone is? I've had a lot of examples of people who were examples of faith, but how do you pinpoint what is a quality, what that would look like in someone? Do you have anybody whom you aspire to be like that's in the faith, either in your past or your present, that you go, you know, I want to be like that person in the faith. I want to have what they have. The reason I ask is because when I was growing up, most of the men around me were not strong examples of faith. They were not examples of patient endurance, running the race regardless. Many of them were ego-driven, self-preserving, driven by lust or emotions. So they were always angry or acting out in one way or another. And so, when we're asked who we're to be like, what do we say? Normally we say, like Jesus. And that's a safe answer, isn't it? But, what does that look like? Do you honestly know what it looks like to be like Jesus? Just because we say, what would Jesus do? Do we know what He really did? Do we know what He really said and why He said it? Do we know how to be like Him? And how would we know when we are? Is it because all of a sudden God's blessing us? Is following Jesus a matter of guidelines and principles of things to do and not to do? Follow the rules, the commandments? Is it don't do this, but do this? Is that how you follow Jesus? Scripture would paint a very strict adherence to the Gospel and following Jesus as the standard. If you look at the Apostle Paul, he didn't allow a whole lot of wavering from holiness and righteousness. If you look carefully, I read through the T books, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus, all those in a short span, and he's real strict. And so is that how you be like Jesus? You be real strict in your faith? I've heard it said, if you're going to be a godly man, you've got to be the man. You've got to play the man. Step up and be a man. Well, I've heard that, except uh, most of my examples... We're men, but except when it caused them to decrease in reputation, 
or honor or friends or finances or occupation or retirement. If any of those were in jeopardy, most of the examples I had for real men weren't real men anymore. They were preserving their own self-interest. And if they increased, they increased in fear, risk, danger, rejection, sacrifice, and abandonment. And those things, when they increased, they weren't men anymore. Does rejection make you, when it increases, say, well, God, I've been rejected. I don't know if this thing works for me. I'm having to suffer a little for your cause. I don't know if I like that. The reason I ask you that is because these are a lot of uncomfortable areas. We want these things to decrease. You know, abandonment, rejection, um, sacrifices, risks, fear, and danger. We don't, you know, we even say it's bad to fear and be anxious. And so we try to do things to either overcome that, compensate it, be mindful. Anxiety medication is on a rise in, in uh, shall we say, uh, just a huge proportion the way it used to be. More and more people are on stuff to calm their emotions. And in the midst of all that, how do you follow Christ amidst of that? Or do you just go, well, I can't today because I'm just too anxious or I'm too depressed or I'm too scared. What do you do when those increase? Especially when you want them to decrease. Those uncomfortable areas seem unchristian, don't they? Because God wants us to be prosperous. Isn't that what we say? God will prosper you in all that you do if you follow Him. That's what we say. But what we do when we say that is we see everything from a me-first perspective. That's how our culture taught us. After all, how do you tell prosperity of somebody? What they have. How God is blessing them. And you can see it. But the Bible doesn't teach prosperity like that. Paul says, I will become all things to all that I may gain some. Prosperity in the Bible is how many people you can bring to Christ. How much glory you can give to His holy name. That's prosperity in the Scripture, not our own prosperity, but God's. You see, when it says, I must decrease and he must increase a lot of people say well that means I got to get my id out of the way or my ego my I me and mine out of the picture and I got to replace it with God Jesus and the Holy Spirit and so that it's not about me anymore after all didn't Jesus pray in the garden of Gethsemane not my will but thine he's trying to get himself out of the way I prayed that a lot God get me out of the way and let them see you I prayed that often. thought that was a good prayer. Is that what this verse means? That I must decrease and He must increase? Jesus said, and we just said it in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, is that what it means for increasing that would be less of our will and more of God's? So we need to be in a receptive place, right? We lose our self-identity to get a Christ identity. Is this what this verse means? Is this what you've been told? That there's got to be less of you and more of Him in you? That's what I've been told all my life that this verse means. 
If there's less of me, more of Him, He's got to increase in me and i got to get out of the way. And did you know that that verse is not actually about that? I'm going to give you a story to illustrate the point I'm trying to make this morning. There was a man who was out fishing one day and quite successful at catching fish. And a younger man came up to him wearing a nice outfit and this man sitting on the dock and he says, what you doing? He says, well, you know, I'm, I'm fishing. I've worked hard most of my life. I'm ready to retire. So I'm out here fishing. I'm enjoying my life. And I come out here every day and fish. And I just sit here and relax and enjoy myself. And the man says, it looks like, as he watched him fish, you're very good at what you do. And he says, well, I am. I'm a con- I was an entrepreneur. You know, I invented things. I actually created a, my own fishing style, my own fishing bait in the way I do it. And, and nobody else has ever done it like this. And I catch a lot of fish. And he says, well, do you sell it? He says, no, no, no. I just use it for myself to catch fish and enjoy myself. And the man says, well, you know, you could sell that. Or you could hire more guys to fish with you. And, and he says, well, what would that get me? And he said, well, if you hire more guys to fish, you could catch a lot of fish. You could sell the fish. You could make some money. And he said, well, what would that get me? He said, well, if you had enough guys, you could probably afford to perfect your technique and get a boat and start fishing on something bigger and catch even more fish. And he said, well, what would I do with that? He said, you'd sell them and then you could make a big fleet of boats and you have hundreds of people working and, and you could fish and catch and show your technique to all the world and you'd be a rich man. He said, and then what would happen? He said, then you could do whatever you want because then you don't have to work. Man looks around and says, Am I doing that? <laughs> Marty's sitting here fishing, doing what I want. I don't see any benefit in that. <laughs> so, how we look at it, though, we want to be practical, responsible, uh, fruitful in this world. But sometimes our ideas of what is best are based solely on a practical, inner value point of view. And it's often what happens when we talk about today's text. This verse out of context does not work the way it's intended. I use this as the only verse. I didn't read the verses before it because I wanted you to hear this verse the way people talk about it. But John the Baptist is talking to some people in this where his disciples have come together and there's a discussion between his disciples and a Jew and it's over purification. They're talking about why he's baptizing people. They called it purification. They didn't say, hey, you're baptizing, you're purifying these people. Because they're very specific about washing and being clean in their uh, culture. And yet, in a little bit, I'm going to read this to you so you'll catch this. It says, The discussion arose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. John says, A person can't receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before Him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
He's losing His disciples. They're going to Jesus. Oh no! His followers are leaving. That's scary. That's bad. That's the world's view. This is bad. He's taking away what you worked hard to build. You're losing honor. You're losing your following to this other guy. You see what he's trying to say to him? Jesus is taking your people. And that's not honorable. That's shameful because you're losing them to this man. You should try and get them back. That's what he's trying to do. Trying to get which purification they need yours, not his. You need to get them back. He's trying to appeal to his inner glory and his own value. But John the Baptist doesn't buy into it. Because they're arguing about purification, not about numbers. This verse that we read this morning together is about purification and baptism. But, but wait a minute. That doesn't say anything about purification or baptism. It says increase and decrease about me and Him. In what context do you read that? Is this verse talking about an increase of Christ in us? Or is it talking about something else? We hear this phrase, I must decrease. And we hear that word I, and we immediately consider ourselves being less than what we were. That's what we hear. I'm decreasing, there must be less of me. That's exactly how we would hear this. It is not how they heard it. Because it's not what they said. It's not what He said. But we consider ourselves less than when something else becomes greater. And that's how we look at it. That's our math, you know. If it's an increase for ourselves, we see ourselves as having more, being more, doing more. But this verse is not about that. It's about honor and it's about glory. Last week, we came up and had uh, some things to confess and we ripped them up, folded them up, wrapped them up, balled them up, put them in a trash can and later, I burnt them. If you saw it on our Facebook page, you saw them burning. And I scooped them up, what was left, and they're in this bag. These are the ashes from last Sunday when we put those confession before we received communion. When we increase this mess increases. Because when we increase, we're increasing in what we try to do for ourselves and our lives. And sooner or later, that becomes upside down what we really want. When we increase and He decreases, we later have to repent in humility. And let me say it this way. We feel shame and guilt. God, look what I've done. Look at this. I need you to forgive this. We don't need Him to forgive something we're proud about. God, look what this great thing I did. Forgive me for doing it. We don't do that. God, look look at this mess I made. Look how I've hurt people. Look how I've been frustrated or angry or misused your resources in this world. Forgive me. And we have a repentant heart. And why do we have a repentant heart unless our lives have been lived apart from what God called us to and now it's in ashes. We strayed from His glory which He's trying to reveal in us as Jesus Christ to lift our own desires and willfulness. 
We've exchanged God's will and agenda for our lives for our own in those times when we've had to come and repent for that. In those moments, we've given ourselves honor and not Him. We've chose what we want over God. Do you see how that's us increasing and Him decreasing? This is what John is talking about when he says that. The more of Christ means less of our own ambitions, needs, and glory exist. It's honoring Jesus as our first and only choice. So do we retain options to choose otherwise? We often do. But it isn't about Jesus increasing in us. It's about Him increasing in the world around us and us giving Him glory. Let me, let me break it down to you like this. When God calls us to Himself, He calls us to be His children, to learn of Him, to accept the yoke that Christ gives us, which He says is easy, His burden is light, and learn. But if we already know what we must be doing without Him instructing us in it, it means I'm telling myself and God, I already know how to do this thing because I'm smart enough, I'm capable, I've seen other people do it. And we accept that that is valid reason to continue on the path we're on. Wow. That's tough. That's really difficult. To stand in front of God and say, you know, I know you wanted to increase, but I felt like if you increase, something would be taken from me. And that's not what this is about. It's who you glorify. It's who you honor with your life. It's what you honor with your life. John the Baptist was baited in this by this discussion about purification. And what John said is, nothing is given but that which is from heaven. Think about that for a second. You say, well, I worked hard and I got all these things given to me because of my hard work. No, all good gifts come from heaven. All good and perfect gifts are from there. You might say, well, it's my work that did it. It is not your work that did it. It's God's grace through you that did that. And if you keep taking the glory away from God and the honor away from God and not accepting in humility the task that you do, it's under your own good. It's a wonder we have trouble with He must increase. Because we think of it like this. I worked hard, I deserve it. And God looks at it like this. I created you to work for my glory. And if you're going to boast about yourself instead of about me, when you talk about the things you've done, you're increasing yourself. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to say God has gifted me with this ability to work hard, to provide for my family, and God has done this for me. God did this. I can't do it without it. Because if He doesn't gift me with it, then I can't do it. If I, if I have work of hands that provides for my family, I am not the one who created those hands in my body. God did. And He must... Increase in my honor and my glorifying of Him rather than saying this is all about what I do. John the Baptist looked for every single opportunity to go back to Christ with his words. It's all about Him. 
I must decrease in what I talk about. It's not about me. It's about Him. It doesn't mean Christ increases in you. It means Christ increases through you. And who you glorify in your life and what you glorify with it. And that's what this whole passage is about. That there's an uprising in your life that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and He does what He said He will do. And that uprising is an uprising of confident faith that you don't have to talk about your own self or glorify or do what you need for you because you trust Him in all things. It's a tough task, I think, today in our world because our world will not tell you this. Enough advertisements. I'm, I'm serious. Everything that comes along in the advertisement is so well presented, I almost want to buy it. Seriously, I get advertisements, you know. You can work less on your sermons. We'll provide everything you need. You just buy this and we'll write them and present them and you'll be great. And people will wonder how come you did it so quickly. And I'm going, someone else did the work and therefore I get the glory for having a good sermon? No. God does the work. He gives us the blessing and talent for what we do. He tries to transform us to be like His Son. And what, do you, what does that simply mean? It means that we're pointing to the Father at all times. That's what Jesus did. He pointed everything to the Father. He said, it's not me, it's my Father. I'm not the one you need to be talking about. You need to be talking about my Father. That's what He would say all the time. Do we take every opportunity to take each moment to glorify Jesus Christ and give honor to God the Father and the Holy Spirit working through us as often as we can? Or do we sometimes go, yeah, man, yeah, yep. How do you like my house, my family, my job, my work, my money, my life? (coughs) What we say because we think we own it. Because everybody in this society is taught that we own what we own. The Bible says we do not own ourselves. We've been bought with a price. So we belong to Christ. And everything we talk about should enthrone Him and give Him the glory. And He must increase in what we talk about and what we do. You understand the difference between saying, I must be less of me and more and more of Him in me? You already got as much of Jesus as you're going to get. You got all of Jesus when you got Jesus. He didn't give you half of Himself. He gives the Holy Spirit without measure. We'll get to that in a a week or two on that sermon. You'll see. But what I'm trying to tell you is this morning that if you're trying to make yourself out of the way and put Him in front of you, you're starting in the wrong spot. You're starting with yourself. Well, I got to get me out of the way. You're never in the way. What makes you think you can get in God's way? What makes you think that? You can't. So glorify Him in all that you do and understand that He's going to get what He wants done, done, regardless of us. And so be thankful for everything you've been given and recognize us from heaven. And that's how He increases. And our theology has been kind of messed up on that. So this morning, I, I challenge you to consider what Jesus said and what John the Baptist said. Jesus said, learn of me. John the Baptist says, he's got to increase. 
in that passage I read for you, where the uh, discussion arose, it says um, all are going to him, and John says a person can't receive unless it's given to him from heaven. There's a word in there. It's one of my words, buzzwords in the Greek, lambano. I don't see anybody buzzing yet with that word. This lambano is a word that means grab a hold of something for dear life. John the Baptist says you can't grab a hold of something for him at all unless God gives it to you. You don't have anything whatsoever in this world unless God gives it to you. And so I want God to give me all He can. So I want to give Him all I am. So that He can increase in the world. Not in me, in the world. His influence, His heart, His life. That's what I want. And that's what I want you to want for your life with Him. Is that He would increase in you. Because everything that God gives you, it means you grab onto it like you're dying if you don't have it. Does that make sense? If you ever fall off the edge of a cliff and there's something you can hang on to to keep you from falling off the edge of that cliff and falling to your demise, wouldn't you suggest that that would be something worth holding on to? And if you grab a hold of something hanging on the edge of a cliff, knowing if you let go, you're going to die. You're going to hold on pretty tight, aren't you? This is the word that John used. You hold on to what God gives you with all that you have because it's His gift from heaven that says He's increasing in you and through you to the world around you. Paul planted Apollos water. God gives you increase. The increase comes through us to the world around us to make Him known. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we sometimes see where we've tried to increase ourselves and or promote our own selfishness and we come back and we repent and say, I'm sorry. Heavenly Father, help us not to have to do that anymore, but to let You increase through us that we give You glory. And not when our emotions overrule us and try to take over us if our anxiety runs too high, our depression runs us too low, and we say, God, I just can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you can say, that's you. That's what you have. Now let me increase. Give me praise in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial. Tell me I'm still your God. Tell me you love me. And tell me that you can do all things through my Son that I call you to do. Tell me that, you say rather than telling ourselves and the world around us we can't. That we might glorify You who makes all things new and creates possibilities out of impossible situations. God, I thank You for the opportunity today to see You uprising through us and in the world around us. Amen. Do we have time for the last one? Do we have time for the last one? The last one is not on the screen. It's on.